Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest, someone who's been on before, and we're going to be talking to Alicia Grogan. She's an occupational therapist, and she is also the creator of Your Kids Table, which is the fantastic website that helps you deal with picky eating. And I partner with her often because anxiety and picky eating overlap. And anxiety makes our kids anxious about everything, right? And there's a lot of things that are kind of side dishes to anxiety that greatly impact our kids' lives. And that includes their sleep. They have a hard time with sleep. Sometimes they have a hard time in the bathroom. We have constipation. And another one is picky eating. And that's for a whole bunch of reasons. Anxious kids are nervous about change. They're nervous about their safety. They're nervous about things being sudden. And unfortunately, food does a lot of that. You know, is it too hot, too cold? Is it going to have a strong taste, a bold taste? Is it going to surprise them? Is it going to be chunky? Or is it going to make them choke? Is it too chewy? Is there something in it? All those things create a lot of anxiety around food. And then anxiety likes routine and it likes comfort. And so if they like a certain brand of something and it tasted good and it was predictable, now that's all they ever want. And so they have to have that particular brand. They want those particular chicken nuggets, not the other one. And their tongue can and will taste the difference. (laughs) Does this sound familiar to you? It's a life that I have led for many, many years with three kids with anxiety and OCD all being impacted by their eating on some level. My oldest, who's 16 now, has sensory processing disorder and had major, major sensory issues around food. And she had a feeding therapist. She was failure to thrive because she couldn't eat. It was very extreme. And then my second child, he has ARFID and he has intrusive thoughts around his food due to OCD and PANS. That is very different That is a different origin, and it's not one that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about more like picky eating and sensory issues. I'm not talking about intrusive thoughts about food or the fear of emetophobia, the fear of throwing up, and so you are starting to not eat your food. Those are the issues that we're not going to be discussing, but we are talking about picky eating, sensory issues, and my youngest, my eight-year-old, is also a picky eater. She has only probably about, I don't know, maybe like 20 foods that she'll eat. And that's purely because she's picky. It's very much like the classic anxious kid who's nervous that maybe it'll taste weird or maybe it won't feel good on her tongue or maybe she won't like it. That's the kind of behavior that we're going to be talking about today. The anxious kid who is overly cautious and has a lot of rules around their food because they're nervous. So the best person to talk about all this with is Alicia Grogan, because that's all she does. And she's got a lot of talent, a lot of skill. And so I invited her back on and she talks about three ways that we can start to change our kids picky eating right away. And that's what I like about her is she can give concrete tips. And that's my style too. It's like, I'm not going to talk in circles forever. 
without giving you something that you're going to be able to do that day. And even simplistic things. A lot of times I'll talk to you guys about things that are like kind of no brainer things, but you may not have thought about them. And sometimes the most simplest ideas can make the biggest impact. So she gives us three quick, important, very effective takeaways by the end of the podcast. So I love that. Before we get started, I also want to let you know that she is doing a free video workshop and her workshops are fantastic. They're very much like what I was describing where you watch it and you have a takeaway from the get-go. I like that because I've attended a lot of workshops where you're kind of like, what did I learn? You know, I try not to make my workshops that way or my video series and Alicia is the same way. So if you want to sign up for her free video workshop. It's starting on Thursday. If you're listening to this in real time, which is May 7th and you can register for free. And I have a quick link so that it's easier. You can go to bit.ly slash picky eating help. That's bit.ly B I T dot L Y slash picky eating help. And if you go there and register, you'll be able to get notified. And she has, I think three videos in this series and they're all going to be really good. If you did not catch that website, you can always go to the show notes or to my website. And I always list everything I'm talking about in the show notes. And so you can get it there as well. So without further ado, here's my interview with Alicia. Well, I want to welcome Alicia to the show. Thank you for coming back. I really appreciate it. I am so happy to be here with you, Natasha. I love getting a chance to chat with you. I love chatting with you too. And this is a topic I don't really touch on unless I bring you on because it's out of my wheelhouse, but it's something that I deal with a lot with my own kids. And I know a lot of the parents that I work with who listen to the podcast or who are in my groups deal with picky eating. And in fact, a lot of times they don't see that there's a correlation though. When I'm doing therapy, people will say, oh yeah, and by the way, like she's super picky eater. I'm like, of course she is because she's anxious. Like it tends to go together. So you have been kind enough to be willing to come on and share some concrete tips. So if we can get three tips on how to help anxious kids who are also picky eaters, that would be awesome. I'm so happy to share that. I think uh, you're so right in that these two things go hand in hand together. And as an occupational therapist, while I focus on the, the sensory components and the underlying causes, there's such an overlap here and how our kids really start to feel about food. When I'm treating picky eaters, especially severe picky eaters, there's a very real legitimate fear there, usually from some past negative experience that they've had. And kids desperately want to try to avoid that. If they've bagged really bad on a, a piece of food, it's very uncomfortable for them. And they, they will really put up a lot of walls to protect themselves from experiencing that again. And that's really where we see this picky eating piece come in a lot of times it, it's really rooted in this fear that I'm going to gag again. Something's going to feel slimy and gross again. My belly's going to hurt again. Like I'm going to have reflux when I eat that again. You know, they, they don't know how to describe those things to us. So they build up these walls and they, they know the foods that are safe for them to eat. And they want to just stick with those foods. But there are ways to help them break down those walls for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring that up because I think that's a good point that a lot of parents don't, don't realize is that our anxious kids are very cautious. And so not only are they just picky because their tongue is sensitive, but any bad experience in life in general, no matter what it is, is overwhelming. And their overprotective amygdala is like, okay, let's not do that again. 
So what was that? And let's make sure that we never experience that again, which can totally impact their eating. Yes, absolutely. And I think, and I think we see those variances too. And if it's not a personality trait to be more cautious, if you are a more adventurous child, you know, it's common for me to have parents say, you know, my, uh, even with twins, I've treated twins where one twin has the same experience with the same food and they, they move on from it. They seem to overcome it, but the other child goes into this cautious place to protect themselves. Like you said, it, it, like a lot of it even comes down to their personality and these kind of traits that they're carrying, which aren't always a bad thing. We just need to work with them to help them feel safe. And a bonus note, <laughs> but I think for picky eaters, it's really important that they feel that we're on their team. When they feel like we're supporting them with their eating and not working against them, that can be a tricky thing to do because I, I think culturally speaking, most of us were raised and we've been taught to kind of like, we need to get our kids eating the right foods and we need to do it however we can do it. And so when we kind of come in with that kind of mindset and that energy towards our kids, it really sets up like just kind of building up this protective wall more and more because they feel like you're not getting it. And there's a real fear, a real discomfort there they're trying to protect themselves from. So even just having that kind of switch, if we can start to think about being on their team and working with them, these tips that you're going to learn today are going to be even just so much more successful for your listeners. Yeah, yeah I agree. And, and getting them to communicate those things too, I think is so important because a lot of times if they don't have that trust and they feel like you're kind of the food police, they're not going to tell you, oh, that was slimy or, oh, I thought I was choking. You know, and I always like to use my personal examples. You know, my son who's 10, you know, he's had eating issues forever. Actually, we've talked about this before, but it's where all three of my kids have eating issues for different reasons. And he's very shut down. And last night he wouldn't brush his teeth. And so I was like, what is the big deal? I don't know why my kids are not brushing their teeth. And it's, it's like bigger than normal kid stuff. Cause my, I don't know, we won't even get into it. It's so weird. <laughs> my 10 year old was giving me a hard time last night. And he said, mom, I have, and he's, he was complaining that he had the hiccups and he's like, I'm worried. I'm going to choke on the toothbrush if I brush my teeth. Cause I have the hiccups. And I was like, that's okay. Then fine. Forget it. Don't brush your teeth. Just go to bed. I was, so, I was just so tired. I would not recommend that. That's not my therapy approach. And then he said, oh, and I want to tell you, it's not because of my hiccups. And he was getting annoyed that I was just summarizing and sending him to bed because I was doing it in a very short, curt way because I was frustrated. And then he said, it's because I had a Lunchable and I was choking on it and it got stuck. He has one of those horrible retainers that are an expander mm. that they were supposed to come out in May and now he can't like access the orthodontist. So I feel so bad oh. for him. He's like stuck with it forever. So, but it gets stuck up there. Food gets stuck and then it can kind of choke you. So I understand that. But he's like, yeah, it was stuck and I'm really scared. I was choking. And so he would never normally communicate that. And so wow. then I was able to set, which is amazing. We've been working on communication, but then I was able to say, I've been taking your class, <laughs> you know, which was like long overdue, apparently. Mealtime works, very helpful. I got a lot of good feedback that I was doing things in a way that I could be doing better. And so I said to him, well, let's make sure that you have an Uncrustable tomorrow. And he said, yep, I will. I will. We'll go back to it. You know, so I would have normally left that, you know, and I would have just been like, okay, well, you're fine. Just go to sleep. But remember, like that trauma to be there, I wanted to kind of do some corrective eating. So. Right. Right. To confront it again. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. And I think that's such a great example of, even though you were frustrated and we all, you know, like we all have those moments, but I feel like when we're faced with those moments, if we have to choose putting our, digging our heels in the ground and having the battle or just saying, 
all right, I'll process this and handle it better the next time. I feel like we need, we need to choose that because sometimes we're running on empty too and have to just be realistic and honest with ourselves. Totally. Yeah. No, I was like, I was in the red. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not with this. And actually we haven't dealt with it yet today, but lunchtime, I'll remember, I'll be in a better place at lunchtime to remind him to eat that or to suggest it. And now if he says no, you know, I'll let, I'll let it go for now. Just because like you said, I, I want to partner with him and kind of circle back in a cautious sort of way, but it's a tangent. Let's go back. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, let's get into tip number one. Okay. So to help a child that's feeling anxious about food, just feeling fearful about food, there's a lot of stress for them usually around knowing what's coming at their next meal. So I'm sure some of your listeners know this scenario very well. With younger children, like toddlers and preschoolers, well, actually with all picky eaters, they really prefer to have the same foods at every meal. Like, uh, however with that is, if you have a child that has 20 foods, you might rotate through them in a, in a certain way. If you have a child that's only eating three foods, which there are a lot of parents out there that are struggling with that, that small number, your child might be eating just, you know, they have a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner. They may be eating the same thing at every single meal. So they're expecting to see that and that alone when they come to the table. Uh, the best case scenario for the picky eater, they usually work really hard to try to control that. And a lot of parents find themselves in those situations where they don't know what else to do. So that's the only foods that they give them. I don't recommend doing that. You know, you always want to make sure that you have something there that your child typically eats, but you also want to have some other foods there because if the food never gets on their plate or near their plate, it's going to be very difficult for them to make the leap to just say, hey mom, I noticed you're eating some broccoli. Can I have some off of your plate? That is such a huge stretch that is very unlikely to ever happen, which is why it's so important to get it onto their plate because that's a starting point. And there is some level of interaction with it at least being on their plate. But to do that, which I know a lot of parents try, right? A lot of parents are trying that. They've tried all the things. They try putting the food on the plate that's totally different that the rest of the family is eating because their doctor told them, just give them the food until they eat it. They'll eventually eat it. We know from research that that is not true for all children. Children will let themselves go hungry because that self-protection mechanism is so strong that it completely overrides those appetite signals. But as soon as a child is stressed, that adrenaline goes up, it shuts off our appetite. And we've all had our adrenaline raised before. If you think of any time that your adrenaline has been up, your appetite shuts off. It's a protective mechanism within all of us. So we don't want our kids' adrenaline to go up because even if they're starving and need to fill up their belly, their brain is going to send the signal, I'm not that hungry. So we want to avoid the tantrums at the table, which is what we will typically see in the toddler to preschooler when we have different foods that they don't eat at the table. With older kids, we see complaining, whining, you know, sometimes yelling and combativeness when we start to put other foods on or in front of them. If your child is able to tolerate having some different foods on their plate, maybe that's something you're already doing. That's fantastic, but you're still dealing with like the child sometimes coming to the table and throwing the food or yelling at you because it's not what they wanted. Again, remember that this is coming from a place of self-protection, that it's a real reason underneath that they're trying to protect themselves. So to help the anxious child, to help the child that's really anxious about those foods, it's so much better to give them a warning about what the food is going to be. 
because that moment when they come to the table is so overwhelming. It's already filled with this great anticipation. And if a child is a picky eater, they already have to face like, how is this going to feel? Is it going to be okay? Am I going to feel pressured? And if their tummy's upset, if they're dealing with like a GI type of issues, all of that is kind of going through their head on a, maybe even on a subconscious level. So they're quick to react. But when we can prepare them in advance for what they're eating, it really helps them understand and just be prepared. Okay, there's going to be some baby carrots on my plate today too. So sometimes for some kids, that warning can come with, you know, an hour or so before the meal, just kind of casually mentioning to them. For older kids, menu planning is awesome. Even by the day, you know, if you have a whiteboard or a chalkboard somewhere in your kitchen that you can write it, you will not believe how much older kids, once they know that that's there, will look at it on a daily basis and know, okay, this is what we're eating for the day. Put your child's foods on there too. You know, like what you're serving with it for them. I like that. I think that's a really, I like the whiteboard idea. I think that that's a, a good visual too. And a lot of anxious kids, like my kids will ask me a lot, what are you making? What are you making for dinner? You know, what's that smell? Like they're so, like they're so keyed into what those things are. So let me ask you a few questions. When you say put it on their plate, some kids don't want it touching or near their food. Would it be okay to put it in a special bowl next to it? Or do you really want to get it on the plate? Yes, absolutely. So that's going to actually jump us into the second tip, which is to take baby steps towards getting your child more comfortable with the food. So like I said, we don't want to get our kids' adrenaline through the roof. You know, we kind of always want to push them, encourage them to step just outside of their comfort zone, but we don't want to miss the mark so much. If your child can't even tolerate the food in the room, getting it on a plate is going to completely set them over the edge. So I definitely encourage your listeners to think about where is your child with these foods? Where is their comfort level? Can they tolerate them on the table? Can they tolerate them near them? Like some kids will verbalize, like just having their parents plate next to them. I don't want that. I can smell it. I can see it. I don't want that that close to me. You probably have a pretty good idea of what your child can tolerate. So for some kids, they're ready to have it on their plate. If your child is ready to have it on your plate, one of the best things you can do is to use a divided plate because it protects the food from touching the other food. I would say this even for kids through teenagers. I know that it can seem a little embarrassing, but they actually sell adult divided plates because there are so many adults who have unresolved picky eating issues that are still working through this. You can even find those on Amazon, like more age-appropriate divided type plates. But a second step would be taller, like having a small side dish or a small bowl where you're putting some of that food into the bowl. Now, you don't want to stop there. The key is to keep taking baby steps. And that's usually in a conversation. And I think, you know, Natasha, I know you use similar principles because I've learned them in your anxiety course, but it's talking with your child outside of a meal usually about what they're comfortable with when they're coming to the next meal. So when you have a child that's old enough to engage in that conversation in a way that's, again, where you're showing up on their team and you're saying, you've done such a great job having the food in the bowl next to your plate. Like, what do you think a good next step would be to having it on your plate? Our kids surprise us so often when we just give them the opportunity to voice their ideas. Uh, And then again, they feel like they have some control over it when you're partnering with them instead of just kind of telling them this is the next step or we have to do this now. There's no specific timeline, but we always want to be aware of trying to just push them a little bit closer, getting that on their plate. 
another way that you can kind of maximize that and a tool that you can use to help your child tolerate that is taking a very small amount. If you're having peas for dinner, you can literally take one pea, just one pea. It doesn't have to be a full serving on their plate. And that's another area that you can slowly build up over time, getting them to tolerate larger amounts. Yeah, I like that. And I think partnering is such a good point. Kids love to be an equal to say like, what would you like to do next? What's your next step, you know, to make them in charge. And that is my style too. So I think that kids do surprise you when you actually like let them make the next step. You know, a lot of kids are, are willing to, to take that next move. One thing that we did after I took your class is I never did family style. And so <laughs> There were like a lot of just concrete things that I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't do that. That's interesting. And so I started to do at least once a week, like I would put the food on the table instead of, you know, deciding already what they're going to eat, what they're willing to eat, you know, making every plate look perfect for them, put the food out. And it was interesting. One, it was a good exposure just for them to smell these different things, see the different things in big pots. And I think they ate more too, because they had it right there. So they would, you know, I was giving them portions and they didn't, don't eat much. And so to have that right there to get another spoonful, I think was really helpful. But then also like seeing everybody else eating this and scooping it up. Yeah. It just reminds me of, you know, we went from that to putting it near them and putting it on their plate. My son, I mean, it really cannot touch his food. So I should need to invest in a divider plate, but yes, and definitely I've seen ones that are completely not babyish on Amazon. So they're, they're definitely ones that are not going to make your child feel immature. So that was a good point too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that brings us to our third tip. And this is a very common picky eating tip. So I want you guys to hear me out on this because cooking together. And I, I feel like sometimes parents shudder when they hear that because it seems like <laughs> one more thing on the to-do list to check off. And I know if you're dealing with picky eating, if you've ever done a Google search, that's one of the top strategies that are recommended. And if you've tried it, you know, I've heard a lot of people tell me, I've tried cooking with my kids and it doesn't go well. They don't like it. You know, it's, again, I think we need to be very aware of how we're approaching it and how we're framing it up for our kids. And also maybe starting with recipes that they're really interested in. So you don't need to start with the roasted asparagus because you want them to interact with that. You know, you can start with doing something like chocolate chip cookies just to have like a fun neutral ground so they can see what that's like. And honestly, even if you're making cookies or brownies or sweets or, or bread, like what, whatever your child would be interested in, it's exposure to different textures, different smells and a capacity that they don't normally see them, which is going to help desensitize their sensitivity to foods in general. And then the more that you can get them comfortable with coming to the table and just helping wash fruits and vegetables, chop up fruits and vegetables, mix ingredients together, it really puts this interaction with food on a completely different playing field. And I see children over and over again, when they approach cooking the, you know, from this perspective, really take strides and will often try foods during the cooking process that they would not normally try at the dinner table because they get really caught up in the interaction of cooking and they become very curious. They see how ingredients are coming together. And even a child who is anxious about food, who has built up that protective wall, they will allow an opening in a cooking experience because the pressure is off and they're having a good time. 
And again, it's like this twofold win because they're also getting exposure to these other ingredients and just feeling so much more comfortable interacting with them, which not only helps them in the moment, but really helps them in the long run because it really changes the way their brain is processing that information about food. So it's just a win-win. So I hope I've sold you guys on cooking together. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, what am I making for dinner tonight? Who can <laughs> with me? <laughs> I like to take everything you say and I like apply it right away. I think you bring up some really good points. I think sometimes parents might hear that and think it's a failure because my child didn't eat that meal that night. Yes. And I like what you're highlighting is it's really therapeutic. They're being exposed to the textures, to the smells, to interacting with the food. So even if they can't tolerate it on their plate, when they're cooking it or they're stirring it or they're chopping it, that's such great exposure. And it's kind of getting them acclimated to that food. My eight-year-old, she will always eat what she cooks. She decided she wanted to be a chef, but mainly a baker. (laughs) We had to like buy her a whole baker outfit, but it couldn't be like a Halloween costume. It had to be like genuine. (laughs) I had to search Amazon. Apparently that's very hard to find an eight-year-old size, like true chef outfit but they do exist. We own one. And, oh my gosh. and she stopped the whole thing on. So she's like the, the true like pastry hat. I'll have to show you a picture one day. She's got like the double breasted white checkered, like not, it's not checkered, it's white, but shirt. And then she will always eat whatever she cooks because she's so proud and she'll yes. really encourage her brother and her brother more likely he'll eat if she makes it because they have a good relationship and he doesn't want to make her feel bad than if I made something. So I, I mean, and that's an extreme example, obviously she's taking it to another level, but I do see where even just having my son interact with, you know, chopping up vegetables would be a huge thing for him. And not even if he eats it, like, it's just, that would be really therapeutic. Yes. I'm so glad that you said that because uh, it's such an important point. And when you do approach this cooking Think of the goal as just being this positive experience with food and anything else that happens is a bonus. Go in with no, the expectation is to just have this be a positive interaction. And when parents are able to show up that way, they end up telling me that's like one of their, these are like great memories that you actually end up having with your child, like spending this time kind of cooking together, bonding over cooking. I know it has been certainly, you know, for me and my kids when we cook together. So it is powerful. And some kids will definitely take ownership over what they've made because they're invest, they've invested in it. And other times kids will end up trying the food because they understand what happened to it. So when we serve something like especially a casserole or a mixed dish, that's so overwhelming to most picky eaters because there's multiple textures that they have to navigate, but they're also not sure what all is inside. When they've made it, they really see and understand and they're not fearful because they know every ingredient that went in there and they can feel safe going ahead and eating it. It's great. It's great. Yeah. And that's a good point too, just having them see the ingredients. So even if you have a child who just wants to watch or stir something and not necessarily totally participate, like that's still really helpful. My son always asks me what's in this, you know, and he wants to know the exact ingredients. If I'm making a meatloaf, what did you put in there though? I add a little brown sugar and some eggs and some bread. And he wants to know like every little ingredient I put in there and he's more likely to eat it if he knows. And so I think previewing is so important too. Yes, and exactly what I was just going to say. I think sometimes parents feel like maybe they shouldn't tell them everything or like they 
you just want them to eat it, but be honest, like tell them exactly what's in it. And that's where, you know, just to give another little side tip here, I'm not a fan of hiding foods and other foods. So like, for instance, with your meatloaf, it's really easy to like shred a zucchini up in there or some carrot. And that's totally fine if you do that. But if your child asks, you need to be honest with them and let them know there's a little bit of carrot and you know, you can keep moving on. You don't have to dwell on it, but you don't want to omit that you put some shredded carrot in there if you know that that might be a stumbling block to them because that's really what they're asking you. They don't want to be caught by surprise. And what happens is when our kids are caught by surprise, like even with the meatloaf, even if you hadn't hidden anything in it, but it was a leap for him and it's uncomfortable, then he didn't know what was in that. So it's going to build up that wall more instead of it being more of an opening of, okay, I understand what's in this and I feel safe enough to try it. Yeah, I agree. You don't want to ruin that trust. A total mom fail on my end was I bought this calorie powder, you know, that you just like sprinkle yeah. on and add some calories. Because my son, this is about a year ago, he's like so underweight that somebody told me about it and I was like, it's odorless, it's tasteless, but it's powder, you know, and so you have to kind of mix it. And I was just sprinkling it on his stuff and sprinkling it in his drinks. And I didn't tell him. And one day I, I didn't mix it well enough and there was like a little white stuff on there. And he's like, what is that? And I was like, well, it's calorie powder. <laughs> he was like, that sounds really gross. And, and, you know, we took a step back because he's like, how long have you been putting that on my food? You know, I was like, well, it's odorless. It's tasteless. It's just going to add some weight on you. And he's like, please stop doing that. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't really making much of a difference anyway, but yeah, like sneaking stuff in their foods, it, it's not worth the trust that you lose with them. I totally agree. Right. Right. And it, it often in, in a lot of cases, even with, especially with like younger kids that aren't able to verbalize yet, or, or even just older kids that don't have the communication skills, they will backslide even further because they feel like they have to protect themselves that much more. They will often get more particular about the foods that they're eating. They will hyper-focus on brands and flavors because they need to know that you're not messing with it. Yeah. 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 I know. I, I know yeah. that's experience. Yeah. Well, those are really helpful. Thank you for giving us, I mean, those are just really good concrete takeaways that people can start trying right away. And it's a process. So it's like just having some tools in your toolkit to say, oh, you know, I can try to cook with my kids or, oh, I could put some things. We, we get into this pattern. I mean, at least I do of convenience of like, this is just how we roll because I don't want to rock the boat. I don't have the energy. And, and sometimes we just don't. But then it turns into, this is just what we do. And it's not even about whether we have energy or not. It's not even on our radar anymore. Or I should speak in me right. terms. <laughs> I've had that same experience with my own kids and they're eating a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I have times where I'm like, and especially the times where I'm talking to you, where I'm like, oh gosh, I need to work on this again. Like, this is something that there are small things I could be doing. It doesn't have to be overwhelming, but there are small things that I could be doing that are going to move the dial in the right direction that won't take too much energy or effort. And you gave us yeah. three really good ones that are, they're not going to take much time or effort. There's just little tweaks that could start to move and encourage some change. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you're coming out with a, well, actually, I think it's already out. It will be by the time this is out. <laughs> Uh, three video series? Yes, yes. So in just a few days on May 7th, we have our first live video in a three-part series. I'm going to be teaching the two-step process to move your child from picky eater 
to Healthy Child. I'm so excited about this. It's a live event, although of course we will have replays too. It is only for a limited time. So I want to make sure that you guys get a seat in this. This is kind of a one time a year event that I do. And we just give lots of support, lots of printables to help you with picky eating and really put the very specific concrete tools in your hand that really do move the dial significantly. If you're struggling with picky eating, if it is a constant source of stress for you, if you're worried about your child's health or their weight, and you want to make a difference with their eating, this, this free video series is an excellent place to start and will give you some really concrete framework of really how to overcome this challenge. Yeah. And whenever you put out a workshop or a series or webinar, they're always really good. There's always concrete things that you can apply right away, just like in our conversation today. So I will leave a link in the show notes. I will leave a link on my website and make sure that everybody can access that and sign up and take advantage of this great video series. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you so much, Natasha. Well, I hope you found that interview helpful. I always get something from her um, in her workshops and when I talk to her. She just always reminds me of something that I need to be doing around my kids' food. So I hope you had that same experience. Don't forget to sign up for her video workshop. She's going to be talking about the two-step process to moving your child from a picky eater to a healthy child. Who doesn't want that? And you can sign up at bit.ly. That's www.bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash picky eating help. And if that's confusing, you can get the link in the show notes. Don't forget to check that out. You don't want to miss that. And she will send you an email and remind you so that you get all of those videos and get some more takeaways from her during her workshop. If you're enjoying the podcast, it's always great to give back. You can hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you consume your podcast. I appreciate that. It's nice to give. And if you're enjoying my episodes and you feel like you're getting some value, if you can leave a comment and let other parents know what you are getting from the show, that goes a long way. It helps other parents realize that there's some value in the show and that they should check it out as well. So I hope that you're finding the sparkle in everything you do, and I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.